Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. And what was that other one somebody told me recently? Good work? No, it was good riddance. Good riddance. I think it was Chazon that said that. So I wouldn't be that rude, but then I'm not Chazon. Uh, so interesting title today. Laughing at aliens. Laughing at aliens. What the hell is he going to talk about now? Well, I'm going to talk about that. So that talk came out of a, watching a news program this morning where someone mentioned something about uh, uh, an obelisk uh, out in the desert somewhere that was stolen. That they There was some uh, talk that it was left there by aliens and the two news reporters, ha, 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 ha. Um, not a good idea, even though the aliens are probably laughing at us for thousands of years. So what am I saying here? I'm not I'm not here to promote belief in any damn thing, especially aliens or disbelief or ignoring it. As I say often, uh, don't believe it, don't disbelieve it, don't look away. DD, don't disbelieve, don't, no, don't, DB, DDB, and DLA. Yes, that'll help you. Don't look away. And one of the ways we look away is to hear, hear of something and immediately our ideas, our opinions, our judgments come up and connect right with that. It's just like, and we, <laughs> that can't be true. We might not even say that can't be true. We just laugh and leave it at that. So people, living beings that I have met, and some of you have met, and some of you may even be, have met. Uh, other consciousnesses, other forms of consciousness. As far as I'm concerned, this this is what this uh, establishment of the order of immediate light is about, is to protect this mandala so that we're not limited to just uh, traditional Soto Zen uh, forms or Tibetan forms or Kagyu forms. Uh, I am interested in consciousness and have been way before I started practicing this as spiritual path. I've been looking into it for a long time reading everything I could find on that had anything to do with how the mind works, what consciousness is, what is this? What, what, what is this? What is it? Find out. You won't believe and shouldn't believe anything anybody tells you. If you, if I function as your teacher, that must mean you're functioning as a student. Then I would say, I can tell you conceptually, it's not separate, but you have to see that you might come up with different words. For that if you see what this is fundamentally. In other words, if you awaken to your true self, we, we use the idea of delusion and enlightenment in order to train, but the fundamental understanding of neither one of those applies at all. So what I'm saying is there's different levels, different layers of consciousness. And if you're training your mind, if you're sitting down and uh, wall gazing, then you are entering those areas, those dimensions of your mind that you can't actually go with the thinking process. I'm not saying the, th saying the thinking process can't tag along. Of course it can. But to lead with the awareness, to lead with, to observe what's arising, to observe, to receive what's arising, this is the way we go into uh, what's uh, uh, could be called the last frontier. You could probably do this on your own. You could do it as a scientist. You could do it as a, you can investigate things from that particular direction, but it seems to be the most workable way to do it is to do it with the aware, do it with your consciousness, with your awareness. Actually, you could say, use the awareness to look deeper into this, not just be stopped by your concepts, your opinions, your laughing at aliens. Ha 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 ha. It's not funny, and especially not funny to people who have been terrorized over and over and over again by what appear to be other beings, grasshopper-like beings. There's even uh, agreement if you read any of the literature, and I've read more than I care to name on that from the last half a century. Uh, there's much differentiation of between how they look, how they what they do, and a lot of it has to do with how that particular person interacts with them. If, if it's totally fear, then they don't get much. But if there's any curiosity at all, then they can actually converse with that dimension that we refer to as alien. You notice I'm saying that dimension. I have no idea what it is. 
but I like to say it this way. We should meet everything where it's at. If you're depressed, meet it where it's at. Don't go behind the word depression. Find out what this is fundamentally. If you find out what it is, you may not be able to even describe this to someone else. And if you fundamentally find out what the whole thing is, your life, your being a living being, uh, you won't, you won't want to describe it to anybody else because you will know, you'll realize they have to see it themselves. Have to be who you are genuinely. So I was just going to read off a few just for those of you who have an interest. And uh, this will be on YouTube, so you'll be able to go and write it down later. Abduction by John Mack, uh, Harvard, head of Harvard uh, Psycho, uh, Department of uh, Psychiatry. Uh, passed away um, 15 years ago, I think, something like that. But uh, had a book called, several books, but the one that I would that I read that I would recommend is Abduction. So I think there's seven different cases that he dealt with. He was a lot of scorn towards this uh, head of the Department of Psychiatry at Harvard from his people around him because they they just they wanted to laugh at it or put it, you know, not investigate it, not look at it. So he was an investigator. Uh, Encounters by Dr. Edith Fiore, who uh, is now retired, lives in Florida. <laughs> she has several other books on uh, past life material and also uh, other uh, um, uh, so-called uh, entities or ghosts. Up to you. I'm not re recommending this. I'm just saying if you want to, here's a few. Bud Hopkins, his book is Intruders. He has several of them, probably half a dozen. Glimpses of Other Realities by Linda Moulton Howe. She also has half a dozen or more books. Symbiosis by Nancy Tremaine, who were very astonishing, very strange kind of interaction with uh, beings that we would refer to as aliens. I don't know if she would do that. And she actually came to the monastery and gave a, a presentation on her experiences a couple of years ago. So some of you were here. Here's one that I've not read, but I have as a reference, UFOs and the National Security State by Richard M. Dolan. And this just is just material of how this has been covered up by the government. All kinds of things, just extensive. Everybody's heard about UFOs and aliens. Uh, but most of the time we just uh, disregard it. Why? We can, because they're not in our face. They're not interested in talking to primitive people, particularly. But they are interested in how we're functioning and, and what they can do probably to keep us from wiping ourselves out there. So anyway, there's a lot of material there. Uh, you can check it out if you want or do something else. Uh, as I said, even though the title of the talk is uh, um, laughing at aliens, what I'm saying, don't laugh at anything. Don't, I mean, if you spontaneously laugh, then you should look at what you're laughing at and what if, see if you're actually laughing at what is humorous or outrageous, or ridiculous, or at your idea about it, which is covering up the fundamental nature of what that actually is, if you were to just receive it. If you receive something, you don't know what it is. Just like if you meet a person, even if it's your spouse or your child, if you meet them where they're at, you won't know what's up with them. Because if you do, this is your idea about them. This is why it's so difficult to, what? Raised children? What a ridiculous statement. Well, the only thing you can do is with children is protect them from things that are so innocent that they might hurt themselves or bump into something or go without eating. And maybe they should go without eating. They don't feel like eating. Might want to trust their digestive tract rather than your own. Speculations about children's digestive tracts. Clean your plate or you what do they call those? Desserts. Don't get any dessert. <laughs> I'm just repeating what happened to me. So what I'm saying is I'm I'm saying this uh, this talk is about, and I'm happy to respond to correction. I don't care what it is. I'm just trying to encourage you, all of us, to look deeply into everything. Take nothing for granted. Buddhism is just... Uh, going into the wilderness that we call the mind. It is not a belief system. There's nothing to believe. If you're believing in Buddhism, this is not what the Buddha taught. He didn't say, believe in me and follow me. On the other hand, people that came to him 
as far as I can tell from the what the history says, is he insofar as he could, he met them where they were at. And that that you know how difficult it is to meet someone where there's at where they're at, especially if you're tumbling around in your own uh, wilderness, not knowing who you are, where you're going, what's up, what's down, why you're having this feeling, why you're having that feeling, why you're suddenly feeling. Uh, at odds with something or suffering about something or feeling with no particular story around it. What we do, the generally, unless you're a meditator, meditators don't do this so quickly because they've been looking at the mind for a while. So they're more apt to have the ability to hang out in not knowing or emptiness or relative emptiness of the mind, not knowing what the hell this is. You can do that. I'll help you insofar as you allow me to. And that doesn't just mean, yeah, so good on, go ahead, help me. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. It takes a lot more than that. Nice show, Bonnie. Nice show. Um, do we as humans show up in the deep consciousness of beings from other realms? <laughs> well, I don't know that, but more than likely, from what I've been looking at, not only reading about it, but actually working with people's deep consciousness with, with purpose, uh, with purpose, going into deep consciousness with, I've been doing this for a long, longer than I've been meditating. I've been talking to people about deeper levels of their consciousness, but I don't promote it. Some of you might've known me for a long time and I may have never mentioned it because I'm not here to promote things particularly. That being said here, I am talking about don't, you know, laughing at aliens. So there's something happening here, but it has something to do with the order of immediate light and wanting to expand this way of working with the consciousness, just like we do Russian ink awareness practice. That has a particular dynamic that I handle a little bit differently than my teacher, the Dorje Dradla Mukpo or Chogyam Trungpa taught, different than what he what he was doing. Uh, opening the eye mind, which is something else we'll do if those of you who join us uh, for the Ango practice and also a white Tara practice, which have a very specific way of talking about the practice of white Tara, which is a traditional Tibetan practice that shows up in all, all the main lineages of Tibetan Buddhism. <laughs> That's deity yoga. And then the last day, I'll actually do some deep consciousness with the fourth day of Ango, do some deep consciousness work with uh, people in our Sangha that are, that are mediumistic, that are, have a, a natural ability to go deeply into consciousness just on their own. They don't need facilitation. They're there half the time anyway. But with facilitation, then you can actually do some uh, deliberate exploration there in terms of the way consciousness works in each person. So I would say, to go back to your question, Naisho, I would say yes. Uh, overlapping and underlapping and everything is probably happening all over the place. Uh, I, I find it with uh, uh, people who have what's now, this is what psychiatry calls it. I don't call it this, but they call it um, 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 multiple identity disorders, something like that, <laughs> because it's like a disorder that there's different consciousnesses operating in someone. I don't think that's an, a disorder. I think it's just what's happening. To say it's a disorder is to say it's wrong, and immediately we start shutting down on it. And what do we try to do? We try to correct it fix it based on what our preconceptions about what's happening. We think one person came up with a bunch of different personalities. Probably not. Are those are uh, entities or not? Maybe they're not. Maybe the, maybe psychiatry in, in this sense situation and, and then the third person over the next one. Yeah, that actually is someone with multiple, but this other person, they're actually separate identities that are showing. So, but science wants to lock down on something. It doesn't want to investigate. It will investigate if it's forced to, or if a, if a pioneer comes along and looks at something you're curious about and just decides to go in there in spite of what all of his or her uh, cohorts say. They're going to go in and find out what this is. So pioneering uh, mentality or uh, functioning sometimes shows up in any area, science or spiritual path. Shoka has a question. He says, or asks, many people you have referenced have experienced difficulty with others when talking about their experiences. How does someone work with the intense feelings of isolation or alienation when the culture around these experiences often respond harshly, 
sometimes mm -hmm. going as far as physical violence. Yes. Realize your true nature. That was Shoka. You're a monk. Practice the way. You've, you're already fully ordained as a monk. Uh, you, you have a strong path. You have a strong sangha. A lot of monks don't have that. They have a, a community of people who are also monks, but they don't have this kind of a sangha. And you have a, a really strong, mean teacher who won't hesitate to knock you off your feet if you need it, with your permission. So train, train the basic uh, consciousness that is receiving what you just described. Whatever, whatever you're describing uh, is, has, is relatively accurate, but it is tied in with, uh, is tied in with uh, karmic, um, not only the karmic outflows or asravas, I think is a Sanskrit word, of, of other people projecting this and projecting that, and believing this and believing that. This is where wars start. Don't do that. Don't go there. Don't believe it. Don't disbelieve it. Don't look away. This doesn't mean you, you're not feeling it. I'm not saying shut down on the feeling. If the feeling arises, it comes up. It's dependently arisen, but it is unreal. When I say it's unreal, I'm not saying you're not feeling it. Of course, the feeling is the feeling. You have nerve endings in the five sense fields and the mind, even more sensitive in the mind than just the fingertips or the eye tips or the ear tips or the tip of your tongue. So insofar as you can receive with no comment, difficult. I know it's hard. I know it's hard to just have emotions and feelings without abandoning them for some idea about them. Just like it's difficult for those psychiatrists or therapists who dealing with somebody with multiple personality disorders, so-called, uh, for them to to not be able to go in and deal with the situation as it appears, as it is, rather than they, they have to go back and back out of it so that they can uh, have what? Objectivity? No, that's it's not object, objectivity. That's protecting yourself from the unknown because multiple identity disorder of that when various so-called discrete entities arise within the, the mind stream of a, of a sovereign being, uh, that should be looked at more closely. Because it shows up differently. Each time you look, it shows up a different way. It won't hold still for um, uh, even commentary. Because the next time you do it, it's, it's shifted. It's different. And yes, uh, I'm not asking you to believe in aliens. That's not what this is about. But also don't disbelieve that area. Because whatever is called that or uh, extraterrestrials or whatever is happening in some way. But they... Uh, whatever that consciousness is that operates that that way um, doesn't particularly want to snuggle up to us. Just wants to experiment with us. You were bringing up a bunch of uh, books around alien and UFOs, and it reminded me of there's a lot of information with um, different drug experiences, and I'm thinking particularly dissociatives, where at a certain level you can read about people's experiences and there's a, after a certain point, there's consistently meetings with different beings and those mm -hmm. might show up as different to the people, but pretty yeah. consistently there's something yes. that looks like other beings. Yes. What's the relationship to our perception and what beings can show up within that? So the con consciousness doesn't belong to anyone, but it shows up uh, as the human form. But when the human form is gone, you may may show up as another human form, sometimes called reincarnation or rebirth, or it may not, may never be a human being again, or, or may divide up into parts and go into different directions, into different beings, into different worlds. There's, if that's what you're asking me, and as far as uh, uh, drugs uh, like uh, LSD, which I've I know what that experience is like. I've done that, so I know what it's like, and it it is a, a crazy. Uh, crazy ride uh, in consciousness to use that. And I've not taken uh, ayahuasca, but I know people who have. And it's a, uh, and it's uh, interesting thing about uh, ayahuasca is it seems to be very different for each person. Uh, it seems to be more, there's a lot of contrast with any drug, especially uh, uh, lysergic acid, diethylamide, uh, different experiences. Some really, some people really like that, really want to do that. Some people don't want to ever do that again. So the, those drugs tend to, because they're just drugs, they just go in and, and do whatever they do in the 
in the mainstream or in the, that aspect of consciousness that we don't fully understand what the, the mechanics are, particularly. Some people use a uh, promote and use ayahuasca as a way of dealing with with your life, with your with your problems, with 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 whatever it may be. And other people just do different directions. So it's uh, as soon as you start to go into consciousness, even if we're sitting right here, as soon as you start to go into any kind of deep area of consciousness, it becomes extremely personal and individual relative to your particular uh, the karma and the way you handle what arises. If the way you handle what arises is to cover up, you aren't going to see much. All you're going to see is a, um, you might see something, but it's probably running out the doorway. So it's, it takes a lot of, you could say bravery to just look at what arises without adding anything onto it. Without, don't close any doors. Uh, you might even find yourself actually opening a door. It's called a Dharma gate. And how do we do that? Look at it until it opens. You brought up how just the concept of reincarnation. And I'm wondering is is having a drug experience or any kind of experience a kind of reincarnation? It's a rebirth. Every time you go to sleep and wake up, it's a rebirth. Every time you go from one room to, to another, every time you have a gap in your thought processes, rebirth, rebirth. Because the body mind uh complex is here and has uh, is moving through time like the uh, hands on a clock slowly getting older that kind of movement watching ourselves age watching the sun and the moon turn around like clock hands we 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 impute that we have some kind of continuity as a particular entity but is that is that true and then when we take drugs then that that uh, goes in and moves that consciousness in all different kinds of directions based on the causes and conditions that arise uh, in a in this lifetime and other lifetimes, not separate from anything anywhere. Also, not necessarily connected in the way you might think, and not actually a connection like uh, uh, an extension cord going from uh, from the house down to the retreat hut. Sorry, that's the image that came up. <laughs> but so it's not connected in that way. It's not a, like a linear situation. It can't really be traced in that way. If, if uh, you have more about that question or if I didn't uh, respond to that in a way that's helpful, you can ask me again or ask me another question. I know for me, like going into Buddhism, when I started reading and studying under you, there's a lot of concepts that, at least on my end, seem to validate some of the psychological, psychedelic experiences I had because um, at least there didn't seem to be any conceptual structures that supported that. My upbringing. So, is there any validity to an experience? Is there any validity to any experience? Yes. What do you mean by experience? And then, as soon as you describe define that for me, what do you mean by validity? You're asking me questions. I need to know what you mean by those. I can't respond until you do, because my response is going to be no. Because you're the, those those two situations point to something that is conceptually loaded and actually prevents us from seeing the emptiness uh, that is covered up by those conclusions or those ideas or those structures. Go ahead. What is the emptiness that's being pointed to in the teachings? Um, as, as I think I said earlier, uh, confusion or delusion and enlightenment are, are as a they're two things, night and day, up and down, back and forth, uh, right and wrong. All the polarities, they get their meaning from each other. But the path, uh, the delusion, if you look at the delusion until you see that it is not separate from enlightenment, then both of them, insofar as they have uh, uh, some kind of a status as something, they vanish. Then there isn't anything else. There's no one even looking at it. And there's nothing being looked at. It's some, sometimes called emptiness, sometimes called suchness, sometimes called uh, tatagatagarabha. I mean, there's all kinds of words that we, those who have understood this in past times, have used to point at that to help us who are struggling in our, with uh, suffering in the world and with, our, with just being a human being. More? There is no conclusion. Uh, I'm saying there is no, there's nowhere to go. 
Go ahead, Junchu. Melissa Lewis asks, is a strong sangha? Uh, a sangha that uh, uh, meets and hangs together and supports each other in practice and in study. Uh, and uh, someone that you can be with and can support you as a companion or Kalyanamitra, companion on the path, but doesn't interfere with your neurosis or correct you. Doesn't interfere with, with that without your permission. They might ask you about something, then you might be able to discuss it, but no correcting. And no, no Sangha, you have a teacher, which in this case you do, no teaching each other. Don't teach anybody anything. Receive, 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 receive. You want to teach somebody? Come and teach me. I'll listen to you. So the Sangha is uh, the Buddha's example, uh, which, which uh, if you don't have a living Buddha, you have to, you have, to uh, have uh, whatever teacher is available that you can have some confidence in. And then the, the Dharma is the truth that is taught. Everything is dependently arisen. Nothing comes from its own side as an independent entity or self. Uh, everything is impermanent. Nothing lasts. Nothing. All compounded things will vanish. And uh, life is suffering or discontent. This is not nihilism. This is just the truth. You have a bunch of nerve endings that are abraded much more than they're stroked. And... The, the community or that group of people who can, who you can, you can be with that you don't lean on, but you you walk with them. You don't lean on them. That's called uh, ordinary friendship is a kind of friendship where you, uh, somebody, uh, they can see your craziness, uh, but they love you so much. They give you a break. Whereas the Sangha won't give you a break. I'm sure you've noticed those of you in the Sangha who have been here for a few years notice that, not everybody, your Dharma brothers and sisters, are that nice to be around. When I say when I say that, I'm not I'm saying they should be, but it's a, the sangha. Or the, sangha uh, the sangha is a group of people who you would probably wouldn't choose for uh, conventional kinds of friends, but you're you're kind of forced to deal with this cross section of humanity called sangha. People from all different kinds of karmic situations uh want the truth and uh, if you happen to have a, a teacher or a community in common then, and a teaching in common then you might find yourself with other people or practicing that are not for you to be around you know like melissa i think melissa shows up on uh open heart yeah and so that's a kind of sangha it's not i mean it's a not quite as a song, uh, as strong as a sangha that meets <laughs> in the same in a building over and over again in a monastery. It's not as strong as that, but it's pretty strong considering our the COVID season and so on, and that we're doing this uh, that we're using Zoom like twenty times more than we did a year ago. We've used it a year ago, but it's really the only thing we have right now that is uh, safe. Thank you for the question. Further questions? A question from R.B. Watts. Would my belief in my own single identity be just as disordered? Bowing. Yeah, but it may not feel that, you know, uh, your particular life might be, you know, you're on this screen, so some, you're, you have some kind of curiosity going on based on uh, Buddha's teaching. Maybe you're maybe you're a student of the Buddha. Maybe you already have a, a sangha. Maybe you are the Buddha. From my point of view, um, you are. You might not know it. So your own identity is not to be gotten rid of or shoved out the door. It's to be seen to be unreal. If you see it as unreal, then it can do anything it wants. It can sit on your lap. It can yell in your ears. It can warn you of oncoming uh, bad weather. I'm not kidding. I mean, you you don't have to get rid of anything. You don't have to transcending things is a misunderstanding to get rid of, you know, to get rid of it. But your any kind of belief in your own or substantiation in that <clears throat> based on accomplishing something or being a great violinist or a great artist or anything like that, where you're using that to shore up uh, a shaky identity. Uh, I'm not sure if that's what exactly what you're addressing, but you don't have to shore up something that's unreal. You don't have to get rid of it. 
to do anything with it. It's quite funny if you see it. You'll stop being scared <laughs> of anything. A question from Josh in Kalamazoo. Yes, Josh. In my experience, looking into the subject of aliens and consciousness tends to lead to spiritual materialism. How can this be avoided? Well, it's about awareness. It's not about avoiding spiritual materialism. Somebody who's aware of spiritual materialism is probably not going to be hooked by it. You realize that, but I'm not, I'm just giving you this list because I'm thinking if I'm going to use that as a title, then maybe you want, might want to uh, have um, some kind of reference points if you want to go any further. I'm not even recommending you do it. That would be up to you. And if you're saying that that leads to spiritual materialism, I'm not sure how that would show up other than just trying to find out stuff that can somehow, um, I, I don't know. I think it's so individual. I think it's interesting to read about. And it's uh, um, it's astonishing how much material is out there that goes in that direction. But in all kinds of directions, dealing with deep layers of consciousness that most of the world, including the um, modern science, it can't find any proof there in the intermediate state. But if I say, and this is my simple way of talking about it, if I say, uh, uh, imagine a yellow balloon, and now it's floating away. So which way did it go? Or was it yellow or was it blue? I mean, I did say balloon. I didn't say yellow balloon, or did I? Yeah, I did. Okay, I lied. I meant blue. You see what I'm saying? I mean, as soon as I do that, notice what happens in your mind. If you have any visual imagination at all, something's going to happen. And if you don't, your conceptual mind will jump in there and make some kind of a structure that refer that allows you to conceptually refer to the color that you can receive through your visual consciousness as blue. Some people don't have particularly have a strong visual imagination. Not wrong. Usually, usually they're incredibly um, receptive in terms of sound. Or maybe they're just a, a French chef. So I'm just saying that... This Kevin Bowie. Go ahead, please. Go ahead. I don't personally feel that I experience a lot of interaction with unseen realms. And yet I wonder if what artists experience as creativity, might might that be some interaction interaction with unseen realms or other consciousnesses yes yeah, that's going on for sure uh but it, it can go on with somebody they, they won't even know that there's some novelists i can't uh, who actually get their material from apparent other lifetimes they just tell about the other lifetime there's material like that all over the place and then there's uh uh, we have artists right here in this group right here who who operate out of that area. Not just one, but several. Who who actually have, but it's it's ordinary to them, so they do this all the time. So it's not anything uh, uh, super uh, extraordinary or unique. It's it's their everyday mind is like this. We have all these human beings here, but everybody's operating with a different. Uh, range of perception in terms of uh, deeper levels of consciousness. More, Kevin? Kevin Bowing, if, if that's not something that one is acutely aware of, is it worthwhile investigating that relationship or, or looking at the source in a more curious way? Or should you just keep keep going business okay so are those the only two either or the only two i get can i another one <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah knock yourself out. okay thanks uh, i probably won't go unconscious but i'm gonna take your advice okay so i would say don't come to any conclusion about it i mean you you're listening to this talk so you're you're thinking about it a little bit but if none of this uh, sticks with you or or if you're not have no curiosity about the names i read please don't investigate anything. Uh, on the other hand, continue to, uh, since you're a student of mine, continue to go to the wall, face the wall, and watch what moves, watch what moves, train your mind. And the reason I say I don't want to take one of your choices, because three weeks from now, 
you may have an experience where that causes you to because it's it's thing something you're receiving, and I don't know what your karma is like, but it may you may find that just by hearing some of this, and this quite often is the case when you hear about this material, other things start to show up in different directions. So I would say then I, I would always say don't do anything unless you have to, as you heard me say hundreds of times. You're, you're just basically um, by doing anything unless you have to, you're just kind of imitating enlightenment because there isn't a hell of a lot to do. But if you think there is, then then we start to make it dig a trench in our karma. So when the body mind collapses, then we have that huge trench to deal with. Save all beings. Kevin Bowling, I guess. You're glad, please. Oh, sorry. No, you, you. I guess what's I, I guess what's showing up for me is that quite often as a creative person, I may second guess impulses that arise as being like a dumb idea I had. Whereas if I consider it from a more open dynamic as maybe receiving something from another source, I might actually be more curious about it and give it the benefit of the doubt more, bowing. I wouldn't do anything with it. But now that you've said that, if you find yourself moving that direction, then it, things are dependently arisen. You hear this, I present a talk. I mean, I didn't have to think too long about the talk title, and I realized I might be getting an audience that uh, might not be have any interest in meditation at all, but I don't care. Uh, so, uh, but I would say don't do anything unless you have to. The most important thing you can do if you're listening to me is train your mind to see clearly. So anything that does arise, you'll be less likely to to be looking at presumptions about it that you think are the thing itself and more likely to be looking at the situation itself, which could be, I'm just saying could be, not, this may never happen, probably will never happen, could be another entity, could be another consciousness or not, but not important. I'm not interested in generating, getting anybody to change gears, but this is just a Dharma talk that I'm giving from a particular direction. Uh, some people already deal with this kind of situation all the time. And some people, some people, there. One more thing, uh, Michael. Some people, their their life is so completely clogged with this kind of. No one here, but sometimes people are so clogged by this that they they can't even hardly function. And what what does modern science do with them? Medicates them. Not a good idea to cover up symptoms with lumps of um, jelly beans. You know, so you can't experience them and it stops you from experiencing your life. It's just a primitive approach that modern medicine so-called takes. I'm just saying you could do this with your awareness. This doesn't mean you might not need to take some aspirin, but it, it could be situational rather than just this is what you have. This is what you take. Certificates on my wall. Therefore, I'm telling you what to do. You should trust me because I'm the authority. Not not that it might not be helpful. Maybe you should, but you could think about it a little bit before you immediately leap into this drug or that drug or this protocol or that one, or even meditation, even meditation. If somebody said, should I meditate? I don't know. Do you need to meditate? Not really. I said, well, don't, then don't. Nothing's promoted particularly. unless if you're listening to me, then I'd say, train your mind, sit down, hold still and watch the movement. So eventually you see the way that structure works to keep, block out this and to grasp that and to shut down. Uh, uh, go to war with something else. Further questions? Michael Bowing. Yes, Michael. Is just the simple act of quantifying or judging this other consciousnesses or this creative thought is 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 it just that simple act? To make a judgment that stops any communication. Yes. Communication is about receiving. It's not about producing. Producing is producing. Creativity is actually receiving in, in a, a profoundly sincere way. And you could even say with great humility. And this includes Pablo Picasso, who is not particularly humble. But he, he could not have produced the work that he produced without, nor could uh, Matisse or Degas or Jackson Pollock, for that matter, unless they really received what was happening there in the world of color and shape. Just use that as an example.
So yeah, don't judge anything. The, the, the musician, the artist, the someone who is creative in a particular uh, discipline or area uh, is not particularly judging. They're not judging something. If they're judging, then they probably are not, uh, they might be somewhat creative, but their full creativity has not uh, been, you could say, unleashed because there's still some person that's worried about success and failure, right and wrong, up and down, back and forth. Materialism, artistic materialism, sometimes called Norman Rockwell, who, by the way, was an incredible illustrator, just amazing illustrator, but but was not not creative in the same way that someone like Degas, Matisse, the other artists I've mentioned. And Michael Bowie, then what effect is having taken credit for what you've received? Uh, give me an example. I post a picture and say, see my great picture. Yeah, I do that all the time. Just to, it's it's how else do you get adored? <laughs> So, you know, that I'm not sure what you're actually asking me there. I mean, people are, you know, I want, I like people to look at something that I've done uh, quite often say, I've done this, I've done that, uh, creating things. So there's nothing, there, there's nothing amiss about someone admiring something you've made or if that's what you're asking me, I'm not sure. Well, I guess I'm saying, asking about it, it sometimes seems to me that if you, you go ahead and take credit, you're also shutting down on communication. Yeah, maybe. But it's just to be observed rather than changed or modified. And so it's, you don't have to get rid of something that is unreal. So if you feel if there's some kind of vanity arising there around or, you know, feeling kind of puffed up about somebody enjoying something you've made, uh, you don't have to stop that. You know, you don't you can't. You can't be, you can't try to be humble. The very, <laughs> you can't, you just, you can't be, you can't have humility. You may, if you, if you, if that is uh, something that could be described that way or shows up that way, it would be other people will be thinking that. You wouldn't think that particularly. You might think you're not doing so well, but you're also not particularly puffed up or pretentious about who you are, what you think, what you know you look, what you create. Now, understanding goes deeper than just a, a separate being who makes stuff or creates stuff. Michael Bowing, I also have a question about someone who has uh, all of a sudden passed. Yes. Is it possible for them not to know that they've passed? Yes. Quite often that happens. Is it possible mm -hmm. to assist them then? Uh, the best thing you can do is leave them alone. But if they if they come to you, if that consciousness comes to you, let them know and be very general about it. Just let them know. If, if you feel like that uh, that is present, just say, oh, by the way, you probably noticed that you've died. You'll be all right. Keep it very ordinary. That'd be a, a lot more supportive to that to that consciousness, uh, you know. And I'm not even assuming there is one. That could be an aspect of your consciousness. It could be an aspect of Brett's consciousness, or David's, or Mark's, or anyone. Could we? We're really not as separate from each other as we look. So, but yeah, just be be kind. That's all you have to remember. Be kind. No correction. No scolding. Nothing. Just very simple, straightforward. Sokaran, go ahead. Sokaran? Sokaran bowing. I have a question, and also there's a question from Teresa in the chat box. Go with yours first. Sokaran bowing. In, in amidst Sangha, um, in book study, everything about Sangha, there seems to be a lot of discursive thought arising. Yeah. Um, is discursive thought an obstacle to practice? Sorry. So it can be if we fight with it. 
In other words, we try to push it away so we have more space. Or if we try to, uh, that's the aggression part. Or if we try to uh, blame someone, ourselves, uh, passion, blame someone else, or try to find some reason it's happening, or what's the support behind it, to actually trace down uh, something to some kind of a relative source so we can scold it or not like it or be upset with it or ignore it or whatever, have some kind of what? Control. And so uh, the, the important thing to, as I understand the way you're asking it, is just receive that. Just notice, I mean, you've already done something with it by calling it discursive thought. If you can see behind the label discursive thought, which is has a relative accuracy, but there may be another le level of consciousness or awareness or, or uh, object, uh, some kind of a more um, subtle objectivity that is arising there that is being laminated with that statement so that you don't have to see fundamentally what it is. When I say fundamentally, I'm just saying more, more deeply, may never get to the fundamental situation, but more deeply. So you could, when that arises and you call it discursive, then uh, just look at the quality of that. Just look at the surface that, that of the naming of discursive means, just uh, rambling thought patterns, just gossipy kind of thought patterns that come and go. If that's what you're referring to, is that what you're referring to? Yeah, just yeah, just receive. And what is uh, Teresa's question? Do you have hers? So, Corinne Bowling, Teresa asks, "What is happening in the consciousness of those with what is called split mind or schizophrenia?" Yeah, it's just a divided, <clears throat> divided consciousness. And I'm not saying there isn't some kind of a, a chemical structure under that that is sometimes ad addressed by medicine that may may help people so I'm not here to wipe out medicine I'm just saying they're they're not always uh, on the spot they they want to know they don't want to they want to know and control so much that they'll come up with something to either cover it up or control it might be good to to actually look at that if someone has mind training uh, meditation practice and has a uh, uses this particular form the Buddha the Dharma and the Sangha <coughs> different way of working with it and you can't do it in a couple of years. You can't do it and may not be able to even do it at all. There's no guarantee of anything, but you could start. So look at the divisions, see what's looking at what. Is one part looking at the other part? Is the other part looking at the other part? If you see what this is, it won't be a problem. You can have all the personalities you want. I do. I'm not particularly having a problem with anything in particular other than my broken arm. That's not fun, but that's that other part of my personality is having that. So we can talk about uh, we can talk about situations that, that are you know psychosis, schizophrenia, and all that. There there are labels that have a relative accuracy to them. I've been working with that for modern uh, psychiatry and so on, and uh, we've been working with that for a long time. So I'm not saying there isn't something that is accurate there and couldn't be worked with in a relative way by someone without any mind training, who's just trying to help that person using whatever, uh, uh, you know, a Wellbutrin or to settle some things down or antipsychotic uh, meds and so on. I'm not saying those, those aren't somewhat workable. Maybe that, maybe that's the only thing you can do. It's possible. So we're not, I'm not trying to rule out all of that. I'm just saying, you could you could look at what you see if you can possibly do this yourself with your awareness with your own mind rather than rely on some other thing sometimes you can't help but rely on something else if you have a headache you might need to take aspirin or something else shoka bowing shoka along those same lines with um, diagnoses like that having worked in a psychiatric facilities, sometimes people uh, might have an experience or have contact with these deeper layers of consciousness. And uh, the people around them will involuntarily admit them to a psychiatric hospital where they are force-fed drugs. Yeah. And I'm wondering, what does it mean to fundamentally support or help somebody who's in that kind of a situation? Protect them from danger. I mean, you, you may have to do something with them if they're uh, doing something dangerous, either to themselves or to others. So, so protect them, but give them some kind of a, 
again, meet them where they're at and see if they're ready for any kind of uh, fundamental work. It can be very, very simple. If you meet somebody where they're at, then you'll see what's happening. You'll understand if you've met yourself where you're at. If you know who you are, if you're confused about who you are, you're going to have trouble with others because you'll project your own unexamined confusion on others and think it's them. You know about that. You do it. Am I accusing you of something? Would I do something like that? We all do that. I do that. That's how I know about it. Project onto others and think that the emotion or feeling that we're having is over there. The person who is disturbed in the way that you're talking about, and we've talked about that a while back when you were working there, we talked about that several times. And I would say, meet people where they're at. Like we, the, the person who didn't want to have that you told me about, we don't have to go into that because it's kind of a long story, but the person who didn't want to have their blood sugar uh, tested. And and I think I said something about, well, just find a way to what their energy is and find a way to interact with them. Uh, I don't know what I said, but try to have a little humor about it and play with them a little bit. And uh, you got their blood sugar taken because you, you met them where they're at. So the, the people are their their craziness, their insanity, or their psychosis is also dependently arisen. But it's but what it is dependent on is much different than uh, what is our civilization is dependent on. So our civilization is what civilized, which is also dependent origination, called culture, civilization. Shut up. This is how a certain situation looks to me, but it seems like mm. someone new finds out that there's a venue like deep consciousness work to work with that. It kind of solidifies that other quality, maybe in a way that gives some handles to work with it. But how does working with deep consciousness in a way that increases that separation help in a way that covering up with medicine doesn't help? I don't know that it does. We just, you know, we're we're all uh, mentioned a frontier. We're all on a frontier. We're we're doing the best we can with what we know, what we understand. And if your intention is to help people, then you might have to crawl through a lot of uh, weeds and brambles, and 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 go through a area that's that's difficult to navigate. Especially if you're trying to help some someone who is stuck in that, who is who is stuck in it because they believe what's happening to them. Whereas if you're if you if you're uh, training your mind to not believe, not disbelieve, or not look away, there isn't any place you can't go. Is it important to not offer that kind of help? Yeah, uh, it's it's pretty dependent on your relationship to that person. If you're, uh, you know, if you're in a if you're if they're your partner, then that's a different situation. That's totally your situation. But if the person is down the hall or across the street or part of the sangha or is a, an acquaintance, then maybe you should hold up a little bit unless you're asked specifically. And I think it's, it's, it's dependent. It's very situational. So rather than set up something like you're asking a question and I can't really respond to that as yes, no, maybe, but it's like, it's like uh, uh, talking to Kevin earlier. He gave me an either or, and I said, I, I don't know, because three days from now or four days from now, you might have forgotten the whole thing. Not, not even interested in doing something else. He's working on a book. I know that. And maybe just working on that and maybe not thinking about too much. But something else might show up where maybe I need to look into some more of this. And then he, uh, then Kevin could talk to me some more. He could look at some. Just These are just a few books that go in different directions. There's countless countless the material in this is just really extensive it shows you what's been going on for centuries further question about that Shoto? are we helping to create a problem by giving it uh, an area to be addressed in I, I don't think so i mean the way you're asking me the question i don't think so so i, I don't think uh, you know, it might be too careful, too strategic about it. You don't have to do that. You can relax and and go in and just know that you're not you're not gonna you know not going to abuse someone, particularly, you know. And if and you will get a signal right away that maybe you're going too far in that area, 
but you can kind of dance with the situation a little bit. I'm, I don't, I'm not trying to be particularly vague, but it, it is a little bit hard to say because it's so situational. If a person is really having a great deal of difficulty with something and you're the only one there, you might do something with that or suggest something to that person that, that you might never have suggested if they were just didn't seem to have anything particular going on except just a few little complaints about this and that. Whereas if they're, they're somehow terrorized by what's happening, then you might want to engage more closely, if it's, especially if it's somebody you know really well. And am, I, am I coming anywhere near to helping you with that, or does it just sound more vague, or I gave you an either or? I felt like that was really helpful. Okay. Well, good. Yes, Junchu. Um, a question from Shoshi. Shoshi. How do I identify my intention to help? Um, well, probably the first thing, uh, I don't know if it's the first thing, but you could see, uh, look at your intention. If your intention is to help, then look if, there, look if there's any streamers on that, little things you tack on like pilot fish on a whale. You know, that it is feeding off the situation that have to do with your particular ego or your pride or your self-centeredness, where you're really doing this because you want to be a person who helps. And you want people to acknowledge that you're a person who helps, uh, even though your motivation for doing it is to appear as a person who's helpful. Quite often, people have whole professions that are about how they appear and not about fundamentally helping people. This doesn't mean that nurses aren't helping people. Of course they are. Or or dentists or all, all kinds of people are being helpful. But a lot of times the motivation behind that is to is about the identity of being that kind of a person. So I would just be, you know, if you're doing a lot of sitting practice, which says Shoshi, I hope you are. Um, you can look at that on the cushion. Uh, you can also write it on a post-it note or an index card, lay it in front of your, of your uh, Zabutan, Zafu. Sit there for three or four hours. And at the end of the three or four hours, some block sitting, uh, then then look down and contemplate that. And it can be a simple thing like, what are my intentions? What is an intention? What is my intention to help? So that takes you from the open space of wall gazing down to the the completely uh, uh, hall of mirrors of the uh, thinking process, which is very like structure, structure, structure. Uh, the walls will look uh, won't reflect anything for a while, but if you continue to look at it, they eventually you'll you'll see what this is. Do a lot of it. He has a follow up. Very good. If all conceptual thinking is fundamentally illusion, how is it possible to identify intention? A persistence, as because you're you're if you. The, the uh, concept or the conclusion that it's all illusion or the teaching that it's all, all illusion is not the, is not what's being pointed at. That's a concept about it. So that's the recipe about it. But you, you'll starve looking at a recipe. You actually have to, uh, what, eat the recipe. No, don't do that. You have to actually do that. You have to actually do that. So that, therefore, so that way the causes and conditions that are arising in any given situation you're no longer for, against, or shutting down on. This is uh, just a way of interacting with being a living being as a dependent origination, where you're not buying in anything, you're not selling anything, you're not ignoring anything. That's how it's done. And it takes a while. It can't be done in three weeks, three years. It takes a while. Final question, if you have it. It can be about aliens, if you want to ask me about aliens. But he wants to laugh about aliens. Okay, good. We'll dedicate the marathon. Yes, go ahead. You have another one? A question from Benjamin, I think in Florida. Yes, Benjamin. Do the aliens have a relative separate self? How can I meet them and laugh at them? Mm -hmm. Well, don't laugh at them, uh, necessarily. So when I say laughing at aliens, I was talking about the news reporters that were kind of mocking the whole situation as if they were, that that was just a big joke. Everybody knows there's no aliens. So um, I would say in response to your the first part of your question, uh, it's hard to know about that. Even our consciousnesses are not separate. 
in the way we think they are. We think we're some kind of a separate being, but the, the overlapping is uh, all over the place and under the place and on top of the place. It's uh, And that also is an aspect of phenomena, which is also what dependently arisen. You can't, if, if, it's, if something's there, it's dependently arisen, even consciousness. You can disagree with me. I'd be happy to discuss it with you or listen to what you have to say, at least. Okay, we can dedicate the merit from the monastery, please. Friends and visitors, heal everyone who is unhappy, sick, or suffering in the light. 